Welcome to the Raiseology Podcast with your host, pediatrician and parenting mentor, Sharon Somek, here to empower parents to raise resilient and independent children. Grab your coffee or your margarita and let's get started. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should be used to supplement rather than substitute the care provided by your physician. Newsflash overwhelmed moms. Most of us feel stuck when it comes to parenting effectively, mostly because we second guess our parenting decisions, we feel guilty when we're too firm, we lose our patience and yell when things aren't going how we planned. Bottom line, parenting without direction feels like a bumpy roller coaster you don't want to be on but can't seem to get off of. But it doesn't have to be this way. Here's the good news. I've been working behind the scenes to gather a community of amazing, overwhelmed moms from all across the globe who are getting together to support each other, feel more secure in their motherhood, enjoy their children more, and start building strong, lasting relationships with their families. We don't complain. We don't moan. We take action. Simply join this free Facebook community at raiseology.com forward slash community or search in Facebook for the group called Parenting with Love and Authority. I'm excited to meet you there. Welcome everyone to the Raiseology podcast. I'm Dr. Sharon Somek and I have with me today Dana Greenberg. She is the Walter H. Carpenter Professor of Organizational Behavior at Babson College where she's been on the faculty for over 20 years. Dana's main area of research explores how individuals navigate the relationship between work, family, and the community as their careers and lives evolve. Dana's scholarship is guided by the belief that individuals can and should be able to live full lives at work and at home. And by challenging current assumptions regarding work, we can find better ways for businesses, families, and communities to thrive. Along with Jamie Ladd, she recently co-authored a book on this topic entitled Maternal Optimism, and we'll definitely put a link to that book in the show notes, so if you're looking out for that. Dana and her husband are the proud parents of three active, engaged young adults, and I'm really excited to have her on the show today to talk about sort of this back-to-school time and how to manage the stress of back-to-school, and I know we're airing this episode on the first uh, week of October. And to be honest, I'm still trying to figure out my back to school. So I think it's still pretty timely. But welcome, Dana. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Sharon, so much for having me. So tell us a little bit, Dana, about really what your day-to-day work has been and what it is that your passion is about parenting and and work-life. I always say balance, but it's not balance, right? The work-life dance, we'll call it. <laughs> the work-life dance. I, I, I haven't, that's funny. We haven't figured out, I think that's one of the reasons we still have that word around is because we haven't really figured out a better word for it, right? So what does my day-to-day work look like? I, I think it looks like the same crazy chaos that anybody who's got a family and career and work is trying to put together. And as we say, the, the dance of it, I have three children. One is still currently at home. He's a high schooler. And then we have two children. Our, our two oldest are off in college. One is a senior in college and one is a freshman in college. And they're still part of our daily day-to-day dance in a, in a certain way. Oh, I believe that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, they, they go to college and they are definitely independent emerging adults, but they are still in our day-to-day dance. And then my daily passion also involves being here at Babson and I do a come my day 
combines both teaching. I teach undergraduates and MBA students this semester, and also this topic of work family, and particularly this book, Maternal Optimism, and getting our ideas out there. So finding ways to engage in the community, speaking opportunities. I love podcasts because they're just such a wonderful and formal way. So how, how do I fit those things together? And also find time for my husband and my spouse and some time for us together and a little exercise. So it, it, every day looks different. So That's really nice. So today's topic, I think, will be really important for a lot of the parents listening to hear, because we are sort of still in that back to school mode. And I mean, I'm still making decisions even this morning about, you know, if to sign my daughter up for an extra activity or not. And all of that sort of back to school stuff can really cause a lot of strain on a family and on working parents and even non-working parents, to be quite honest. You know, I think that there's a lot of pressure within certain communities to really, and just I think within society itself, to have your kids involved in all these different things. And then there's pressure to, to just figure it all out and do it all. And so I'd love for you to speak a little bit on that and really based on your research and your experience, how we can simplify things and really just focus on the important stuff instead of feeling like we have to do everything perfectly all the time. And I I think it's such an interesting point, right, that we're October 1st and some people could be saying, oh, I'm already in the back to school. But I think from what you're saying and even my own experience of today and what's going on with my high schooler, that back to school process just keeps continuing, right? Because particularly when we're talking about school age children, their activities are rarely the same for the entire year. So there's a planning and work that goes on early on to try to say, okay, what's it going to look like when we start up in September? But then you and I both know that your kid comes home from school and is like, you know, I really want to play an instrument or I'm really interested in that. Or, you know, I thought I loved dance, but I don't want to do it anymore. And so there is this fluidity to children's lives that we sometimes forget about, right? We think that the challenges are mostly around finding the right preschool for our children or finding the right daycare situation when they're young. But we forget that once they hit five and leave that structured preschool or that structured daycare, all of a sudden it's utter chaos. And it kind of is utter chaos for the next 15 years. And so some of how we manage our lives and that structure that we all like to put in place because it eases our own anxiety just doesn't exist when you're dealing with school-age kids from 5 to 15 to 16 to 18 because their lives are much more fluid. And so starting to give yourself a little bit more acceptance around that fluidity. There are certainly things you can do to manage and ease the tension of that fluidity, but also just to recognize it's going to be fluid. And just as you think you've got like all your little systems in place, somebody's going to pop up with something new and different. And so easing, and sometimes you're going to be able to say yes to that. And sometimes you're going to have to say no. And that is part of being a parent, right? Because we know the hardest thing to do is to say no to our children. And sometimes that no is because it's not right for them. But sometimes the no is it's not right for us. And taking care of yourself in that school chaos is really important. 
Yeah. And I want to speak to that really quick because I think that that is something, I mean, it's certainly something that we've discussed on this podcast in the past, but I think that it's something that is really challenging and difficult for a lot of parents, especially moms, because we do, you know, I think when I know for myself, right, when I'm making a decision of no, because I think it's the best thing for my child, it's much easier for me than when I'm making a decision of no, because it's just too much for me. Although if I really think about it, if it's too much for me, it's not good for my child, right? And that's what I try really hard to to really kind of embody and believe because I want my kids to know where their limits are and where when it's okay for them to say no because something's too much for them. Um, And if I don't do it, then they're never going to know what that looks like or feels like. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I'll talk particularly, because I think you're right, this is something that often women experience more than than fathers. One of the things I'll, I'll say to women is that you know, one of the most important things we are doing as mothers is modeling behaviors for our children. And a child who is active and engaged and quote unquote successful in whatever things they're interested in is going to get more pressure to do more. Just like we as women, when we do things well, we get more pressure to do more. And that could be more about, oh, take on more work assignments, but it could be more about take on this PTO or take on this volunteer engagement or take on organizing this carpool and starting to recognize your own limits of no is really important role modeling behavior for your kids that it's okay to say no. It's okay to have downtime. It's okay to recharge your own batteries so that they start to learn to put those systems in place for themselves. So just like we think of modeling reading, we need to model how do we want to live our lives. Yeah, and definitely. And I think it's important to involve your kids in those discussions and let them know sort of what you're thinking. I mean, last year I was involved in the middle school parent faculty association. I had a pretty minor role. It was stressing me out. And I sat my daughter down and I was like, "Does this is this important to you? Right? Because if it's not important to you, I'm going to let it go, right? Because it, it's not, it wasn't important to me. And it's different than, you know, it's not like an elementary school student who's seeing their mom at school and really excited by that. And she was like, no, I don't care if you do this or not. And I said, well, if you don't care, then it's, it is stressing me out and it's too much for me at this moment in time, you know? And even, even just saying that and acknowledging that for myself sort of lifts this weight and stress that doesn't need to be there. And that's really one of the advantages of having middle schoolers and high schoolers, right? Is that you can start to have them be part of some of those conversations, which eases up some of the back to school responsibilities of where you need to be and what you need to be doing. So for example, my high schooler is playing golf this now. And so one of the things that we talked about was golf matches. You know, I'm used to being a parent. I try to manage my work schedule so I can get to a lot of my kids' athletic activities over the years. And so we were talking about golf matches. And I, I said, you know, which matches would you like me to be at? He was like, none. And, I, and I, I was sort of taken aback a little bit. But what he was really saying is that there's no reason to come watch a golf match. You're going to stand at a hole and, and watch me for a minute, and then I'm going to move off, and I don't want you following me around the golf course. And 
being able to sort of say, that's no reflection on our relationship. And that gives me a lot of time to do other things. Uh, a lot of time at work so that I can then be more present for him when he needs me to be present. So one of the things that we also have to recognize is our middle schoolers and high schoolers can tell us what they need and we can be responsive to that and, and trust that they're being honest and truthful. Yeah. And that, I definitely fell into that trap last week, by the way. <laughs> um, my daughter plays badminton and, and she told me she didn't need me to come to any of the games. And then she called me last Tuesday before the game to see if I was coming. So she was just calling to see if I was coming without any attachment to the answer to that question. And I took it to mean, well, she really wants me to come. So I like rearranged my whole afternoon to be at the game. And it really did stress because I wasn't planning to be there. I, I just there's too much going on at that very moment and with her sisters. And so that stress actually was felt by her and I could, you know, I couldn't hide it. It was just one of those things. And she was like, I told you, you didn't need to come. And I said, but then you called me and asked me if I was coming. And so I think trusting them that they actually do know what they're saying is important too. Absolutely. And I think also trusting that sometimes they're going to change your mind and you may not be able to switch everything around, right? I mean, I now have one left at home, but I remember very well the days of having three with three different places and activities to go to. And if someone said to you, I don't need you to be here today, then if they change their mind, sometimes it's too late and they're going to, they're going to learn from that and they're going to learn to sort of know what they need and advocate. So some of the things that we have to think about is, is where we think we're letting our children down in these moments, we're actually raising them up and we're giving them an opportunity to learn and learn to self advocate. So that sense of, I always have to be present, letting go of that can be really good for your children. Yeah, absolutely. So then, you know, I guess what is some what are some stressors that you commonly experience in you know you've researched this a lot I know and how would you recommend that parents can alleviate some of that stress I find for parents one of the biggest stresses is trying to figure out the schedule particularly when we're talking about two working parents is figuring out the relationship between the school schedule, the children activity schedule, and a work schedule. And often parents don't plan for that in advance and think about really what they need, right? The way that you plan and you research daycare or childcare or preschool, parents need to think about doing the same thing as you start every new year and think about, okay, where are my kids at? And what are going to be the systems we need to put in place whether it be for after-school activities and getting three busy kids to diff different places, whether it be for closing the gap between after-school and when parents come home from work, or figuring out what to do on the planned and the unplanned non-school days. But putting some systems in place in advance can really alleviate the tensions around that of how are we going to juggle it? Because most kids still need more support in the afternoons than probably you and I did when we were those, those ages. So how do you put those supports in place and how do you figure out what they need? 
Yeah, I'm curious, actually, I know it's not part of the discussion, but why you think that is? That today, kids yeah. more support. I think some of it is, one, they're more busy. I think the number of activities, engagements, things that are going year round, kids need to be more diverse places. If you think back to when we were kids, if there was an activity in your town locally, your parents signed you up. But if it didn't exist out of your local rec center or your local school system, you never knew about it, right? So I always joke with friends that I played field hockey and lacrosse in high school. And I'll have friends who are like, oh my God, they didn't have that anywhere near me, right? Because you just did what was in your town. And kids don't do that today. Kids, uh, whether they see it through social media, whether they hear about it through their friends, but they're asking for activities that may be far afield from where you live, whether it be anything from I'm interested in robotics to I'm interested in some drama to travel teams. And that means kids' activities are spanning wider distances. And they're happening for longer periods of time. And so that puts a, a, just a lot more things to do in a day and things to manage in a day for parents. Yeah, it's true. I'm traveling like six towns over just for my daughter's gymnastics class. <laughs> and But I, the way I figured that out for myself to make it easier, I have four daughters and this is my second daughter is a gymnast and we couldn't find a gym nearby that was the level that she wanted to be, right? So, you know, we needed something that wasn't ultra competitive, but that she was going to feel like she's learning. And so I was able to find classes for the two younger ones at the same time in the same gym so that at least that's their activity for the week, right? And I'm going to one place with all the kids and it, it makes it easier for me. And I've done that in the past too. If my older one wanted to do tennis, my second one did tennis too. And they tried it together because I can't be at two places at the same time and just don't have that capability. Absolutely. And, and that's a great way to do it, right? Which is to focus on maybe there's one person at one point in time and we're going to organize the system a little bit around that particular person person, that particular child, recognizing that next year that may shift, right? And the kids adjust and they adapt. And particularly younger ones, getting them involved simply activities is an opportunity to learn and experience and grow. So so what is that activity isn't quite as important. Right. Yeah. And sometimes we, we lose track of that with the little ones, right? That a, a three-year-old or a five-year-old doesn't have to be in the perfect class. But if we can find something for them to do around someone who's older and does need to be at the right level in the right gym. Yeah, I mean, I would say the challenge that I see in my neighborhood for other parents, and I guess I don't really have this problem myself, but I, I can see how there's positives and negatives, is that a lot of times parents are scheduling their kids' activities based on their friends and what activities their friends are doing. And that's really important that their friends don't, that they don't miss out on an activity that their friends are doing. And, you know, sometimes I think it's great for my kids that I honestly can't, I just can't and won't do that. And sometimes I think, you know, could they potentially be missing out on some uh, opportunity for relationship? But I do feel like they can make those relationships at school and, and they need to learn how to do that too. But I see the challenge and I, I see it often. I mean, between 
either wanting your child to participate in a class that you either can't get your child to or can't afford in some cases and feeling that pressure to do that. Absolutely. And I think those are those are challenges, right, that we're dealing more when we've got preschoolers and elementary schoolers, right? Because yes. by the time they get to middle school, kids have a little more say, a little more interest, a little more passion, and that's directing it a little bit more. But I think you're right. When you go back to elementary schoolers, what do they really need from a developmental perspective in terms of relationships, in terms of friendships? And they get a lot of that over the course of the school day. Right? And, and they don't need to be with their friends all the time, though they'll push back on you and want that for themselves. Again, our role as a parent is to push back and determine, is that right? And that they will say, they may sort of suggest, oh, I'm going to be left out if I'm not in this dance class with this group of children. And rarely are they left out because there are other ways to make sure they have those connections with those groups of children. Well, And in some cases, it's the mom who doesn't want to be left out. In a lot of cases, it is the mom who doesn't want to be left out. Absolutely. That's the hardest part of this, right, is the overlap between what your kids want and what you want, right? And it's equally challenging to think, you know, and again, you've got multiples at various ages. So I remember there, right? And you go to an activity and all your friends would be kind of sitting, hanging out, watching their kids. And if you've got younger children, you just can't do that, right? Because they need things. And so... Again, what's your priority right now? And you've got to, there is no right answer to that priority, but you've got to figure out what that priority is and then try to make some structures around that. So that's part of it. The other thing that I really am a big proponent of is figuring out the driving situations. Whether carpools are obviously, when you can get really good, reliable, structured carpools, sometimes putting your kid in activities where a lot of friends are is a great thing because then you can get a really robust carpool situation that would can really, really help you. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you maybe have one other child and in both situations, all parents are working. There are lots of ways to figure out driving situations that are safe for kids today. And that's a creative thing that if you can afford to do is something that's worth thinking about doing. Um, making use of a number of the certified responsible childcare slash driving providers that are coming up to do that if there's something really important for your child and to do some, some research on that in advance can be a great thing to do. Middle schoolers and high schoolers, um, particularly middle schoolers, they can wait. You know, that's another thing. Sometimes we think with these activities, right, I have to get my child to this place and I have to be there right at this particular time. But whether it's because it doesn't work with your work schedule and the time you're coming home or your other kids pick up, being able to say you're a middle schooler, bring a book or bring your homework. And if they're in a safe place, they can sit there for 15 minutes or can they walk, for example, to a, a Starbucks or an Au Bon Pain or a Panera that's close by or a pizza shop and sit with a book for 15 or 20 minutes waiting for you. And letting up on that, I have to be there at every moment can really help create some bandwidth in the stress of the schedule. Yeah, this year is the first year that I've been sort of able to utilize that a little bit more. My daughter's in eighth grade and we do have like pretty much right behind her school. If she takes like behind the school road, she can get to a Dunkin' Donuts. And last week she sat there and 
read her book. She walked there with a friend, her friend left. She waited there for me and it was great. And the school actually is open until uh, I think 4.30 or five o'clock for them to sit and do homework there. And I think our high school is open even later. And so I think knowing what times your school is open until and where, you know, if the kids are allowed to just go to the library and hang out there, that's certainly something that has helped me in the past. And, and it helps my daughter because once she gets home and her three sisters are there, it's almost impossible to find a quiet place to do your work. And so for her, she's, she's loving it. She's actually asked me if I could pick her up at school and drop her off at the public library several nights a week, just so she could get her work done. Yeah. And it's amazing as they get older, the things they remember about those experiences, right? So you're doing it because it, what you need to do to manage the schedule with the other girls, right? And and because of that, sometimes there maybe is a little bit of angst about it. Oh, like, oh, I should pick her up or she's, I'm not seeing her for longer in the day, whatever it is. With perspective, a lot of this becomes easier. So for example, um, my oldest was an avid ballet dancer. She danced five days a week. She TA classes. And when she hit, I think it was about ninth grade, She had a situation where she was TAing one class. She had an hour and a half before her class started and then her class. And I could not figure out how to get myself or our childcare provider on the days I was at work to there to get her home. It didn't make sense. And she was a very quiet, timid kid. But we said to her, you know what? There's a coffee shop right around the corner. You walk to the coffee shop. It's quiet for you doing your homework. And she met another girl in the ballet class that she wasn't good friends with. And this started to be their routine and they did it for the next four years. And she looks back now on that experience of, it was such a growing experience for her. She would go to the coffee shop with her friend. She would buy her own coffee. They would sit and they developed this really important sort of peer relationship. They didn't go to the school, the same school, but it's become a really important friendship for her. So Sometimes those things that we're doing out of necessity that in the moment can make us feel guilty and stressed actually are incredibly empowering to our kids as they grow up and reflect back on those opportunities. Yeah, I love that you how you said that, though, that it's really just a matter of perspective. And I think that that is one of the key things when trying to figure out how to manage your own guilt and overwhelm over situations is to really take a look and see what are some other perspectives that I could gather here that would help me feel differently. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a lot of the work I do with parents because it's, there's more than one way to look at every situation and, and you get to choose how you look at it. Right. Right. And I, I think that's one of the hardest things that we see parents facing today, particularly working parents, right. Which is that we feel so much pressure. We know we have this whole intensive mothering piece going on. So we're feeling so much pressure at home to do things the right way. And then we're feeling the same pressures at work if you're working. And we forget that each one of us is an individual and we have to figure out what's going to work best for us and our families in this particular situation. And it may not look like the family next door or the family around the street or the family you grew up in. But if you're feeling good about it and your children seem to be pretty healthy and happy, then that's the best you can ask for. And in fact, that's better than the best. That, that's what you get. But we're, we're so used to comparing ourselves that we forget we've got to figure out our own path through this situation. 
Yeah. And again, I think that that really speaks to what we talked about earlier about modeling and how, you know, if you can show your kids that you, you can feel secure in something, even though it's different than what other people are doing, then isn't that what we want for them too, right? To feel secure in themselves, even if what they want and what they're doing is different than what their friends are doing. So I think it's, it's an amazing opportunity all around. So we're, we're talking about back to school. I think the other piece that we hear from families a lot when we've been doing our research is how to handle situations where you have childcare breakdowns, whether it be working or not working, the idea of most people have some support in their system, right? And that support could be paid support. Sometimes that support is at after school support. Sometimes that's family member support. Um, I've also seen situations where two working mothers will share childcare and swap back and forth. But one of the things that we work hard to remind families of is that those situations, no matter how perfect they seem and how long they've been going on, they're going to be breakdowns. And so you also have to be really thinking proactively about what those breakdowns are going to be and what you're going to do when that breakdown happens, not if the breakdown happens, whether it be because somebody's sick one day, an activity that you thought one child was going to gets canceled that day and all of a sudden it throws a schedule completely off, right? Who, who or where can you go for support and help to put together those chaotic days, knowing that it's, it's not going to look the way your normal structured scheduled life is, but you're going to figure out a way through it. So thinking about that in advance, and there are lots of different creative strategies from everything from knowing you know, if it's a childcare situation, knowing is there backup after school care in my situate school? Can I do drop in hours somewhere? Is that a possibility for my child? Do I have a neighbor? Uh, one woman told us a story, a great story about the fact that there was one mom in their neighborhood who everybody had on speed dial. And she was just always willing to take in an extra kid after school, help out, do things. And people found various ways to repay her between bringing her meals, doing some babysitting for her. But she was just this person who loved having a lot of kids around. And so she filled that void for a lot of people. So figuring out what that looks like, who's the closest person to school, One of the things we've seen in Boston a lot is we get these flash storms coming in and all of a sudden the schools will say, we're we're closing today at one o'clock or two o'clock, right? And in your family, who's going to be the person who's closest to the school who can get there and pick them up? If you've got two working adults who are, you know, an hour away, is there a friend? Is there a neighbor? Is there another family member who can do that? But thinking of those things in advance, writing them down, talking to people, helps you manage when those stresses arrive, whether it be September, October, January, or beyond. Yeah. And I think that, you know, for a lot of moms, they get nervous when they don't have family around. And I know that I have definitely been in that position. We didn't always live near family and, and we had zero flexibility in our jobs. And so it was in many times in my early years of parenting we relied on friends and neighbors to really help us through those situations. And the other thing that can sometimes get overlooked is maybe someone who works at the school that might want to pick up extra hours babysitting. If your kids are young, 
you know, daycare, preschool employees often will do those things. Our best nanny when, when our kids were really young was someone who worked at our daughter's daycare. And if my kids were sick, the director of the daycare knew to expect a call from her that she was calling out sick the next day. And that was our childcare arrangement. And, you know, it was what it was. And, you know, it worked for us. And thankfully, she was still, you know, she was able to keep her job and my kids didn't get sick that often. But at least we knew that we had backup. And, and knowing that made those mornings where somebody woke up with a fever or something like that much less stressful, because we did have a backup plan. Absolutely. And one of the things that we forget about this in terms of the backup plan ideas is that we somehow believe today that it's the nuclear family who is responsible for doing everything for their children, right? So it's you and your partner figuring everything out. And we've lost perspective that it actually is a community. And we're raising our children in a community. It could be a community of friends. It could be a faith-based community. It could be a running community. But we do have community. And that community is usually incredibly supportive to help. And when we think about our responsibility as raising children within that community, all of a sudden, there are a lot of people who can support you. So in your case, right, you had this great preschool teacher, but you also had a director who said, you know what, I'm going to support that teacher who's going to support you. And so it does take that community. And there's nothing wrong with us for relying on community. Sometimes we think, oh my gosh, I have to ask for help, but it's a community and you're going to repay those favors over time. Maybe not tomorrow or the next day, but over time, we repay those favors. For sure. And, you know, and maybe in a different way. And, you know, I I have relied in, in many, many situations on cousins for driving and made childcare decisions often based on those, you know, opportunities that I might have, because otherwise it would made it much more difficult. And, everybody has been more than happy to help. And, and if it feels good to me when they ask for help in return, you know, and I think that that's, again, something that's important to remember that you don't have to do it alone. And it's lonely doing it alone, right? It's kind of, that's not what my mom did. And it's not what I think we need to be doing and showing our kids that we're doing. Right. You know, I think you're absolutely right. This point about it's lonely. It's lonely. It's, it's challenging. It's difficult. I think the other way that we start to isolate ourselves is in this need to have everything perfect. We forget about reaching out to our friends during the week and our support systems during the week. So I've heard from women across the country, lots of creative ways that they're supporting each other during the week in those long days, whether it be long days of combining work and family or long days of being home with a child, but everything from inviting a friend over and saying, you know what, just come over and let's order pizza together. And this is just about being together. It's, it's okay. Another parent told me that they meet at, at a Whole Foods or a local grocery store where they've got some halfway decent salads and they just meet with their kids and they eat together, right? Nothing big. It's not two hours event. It's just a half hour of connection because we know loneliness is such a critical issue in North America today 
It's one of the leading causes of things around stress and burnout. We're feeling more and more lonely. So figuring out really easy, small ways that don't require you to clean your house and make a big meal, but to connect with other adults during the week in ways that are not work-related, that aren't entirely about logistical management of the kids is really important. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that as the kids get older, it, it seems more challenging to do. But if I think it's really about prioritizing, right, and figuring out how to make it happen. How to make it happen, right, and how to, how to find or carve out that, that half-hour piece of the day. Yeah. For, for yourself and for connection, which is just critical. Yeah. And maybe it's that you're dropping off and you're having coffee in the shopping center where that dance class is, right? That's exactly right. It's Or going for a walk, right? Or going in the parking for a walk, lot, right? right? Or if you've got a commute in, instead of using all the commuting time to make phone calls that are work-related, which is one of the fall get, people get into, I'm going to take some time to connect and call a friend. Right. So, for example, I have a friend who's a working mother. She moved to D.C. a couple of years ago. She was one of my go to people in my community and my network that we really supported and helped each other. She's got a very intense job. We schedule phone calls. That's how we have to connect today. Right. And they're not often They're every two months. But we really look forward to those phone calls. And they usually happen at the end of the day on her evening commute. I've got a very short commute, so I don't have that that challenge, but I do it in a way that, okay, it's between my work day and maybe I'm cooking dinner or those kinds of things. But it, it enables me to maintain that connection that was so critical to me for the early decades of raising my children and just as important connection. So it's funny how you say you don't have that challenge because I find that since I work from home now and I don't have a commute at all, I've lost all of that phone time that I used to have talking to family members. And, you know, my sister who lives overseas, she and I have been trying to connect for over a week and we like haven't had, you know, we keep missing each other because when I, when I was able to call from the car, it seemed so much easier for me. Or, you know, one of my sisters has a 40 minute commute to work every day and she'll call me in the morning on her commute. And I, you know, I make the time to speak to her, but it's like craziness in my house at that time, you know, and it's, it's interesting that I never thought that something like a commute could be such a great positive thing, right? Absolutely. We, right, we think of commute, and there's plenty of stress with commuting, but there are parts and ways that you can make commuting a more engaging important sure. part of your day and energizing part of your day if you can figure out ways to do that, which is yeah. really helpful for women as they go through their day. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the other thing that sort of comes up when we think about this conversation, this is particularly true for women who are juggling work and family, is that as you're in this back to school and your children are older, that people, a lot of people like to separate work and family, right? And you don't get the luxury because you're working from home. No, right? and I involve my kids in everything I do. <laughs> in everything you do, right? And that's actually what often works better for women as kids get older in the sense that this idea of really being able to separate work and separate home and family becomes almost impossible. So again, there are certainly jobs where you can't do that, right? I mean, you know, as a physician, right? There, If you're seeing patients, you're seeing patients and that is what it's all about. 
Although even as a physician, I will say I involved my kids often. If I were was taking a call from a parent, I would discuss it with them afterwards. And just, you know, I think it's interesting to them. It's good for them to know what you do. And it makes them more understanding when you're not able to be available to them sort of why you're not able to be available to them. And so, and sometimes I took them to work with me if I had to, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And and so that sense of not, of having more fluid boundaries is one way of easing this back to school situation of, oh, the boundaries are going to look a little bit different for me. And whether if you're in a place where you can be flexible and maybe work from home, that can be a, a great way to manage those boundaries. I've seen on, on the college campus today, this week, I've seen a lot of young children because we've started a month ago and many of the younger kids are having days off or professional days or those kinds of things. And their kids here and I've had a colleague's child in my office while they're off teaching a class and just feeling a little bit more fluid around boundaries. Again, that's that idea of as mothers, we're often liking to control everything, right? We're really good at, at creating our structured schedules and our color-coded situations and time management, but there's a fluidity to raising children. And if you can start to get a little bit more comfortable with that fluidity, and that fluidity also is about this idea of boundaries between work and family, that can ease the tension. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think that we covered a lot and I hope that some of that advice will be taken and, and put into good use because it sounded, to, to me, it was very logical and practical and doable. And I think that's the, the biggest challenge is sort of recognizing that you can do it and that it doesn't, you just have to change the way it, you think it needs to look in your mind, right? And once we can wrap our head around that and really feel comfortable with that, then the opportunities are endless. They absolutely are. You know, I'm thinking as we're sort of getting ready to wrap up, one of the things that we haven't talked all about is the use of technology. And I think the idea of a, a color-coded calendar is what really sparked it for me, <laughs> is that one of the things that I really strongly, we talk a lot about the idea of women holding a lot of the cognitive labor of the family, right? This idea that as women, we're holding the schedule in our head, we're holding the pickup and the drop-off and the carpooling and all of those kinds of things. And I really work with working moms particularly is how can you move some of what's in your head to a technical platform so that you can start to share that information, whether it be with your partner or your childcare provider and your kids eventually. So, for example, in our house, we're a big fan of Google Calendar. We have a, a shared family calendar. And as my kids got older, instead of necessarily saying to me, oh, what's my day look like today? They could jump onto the Google Calendar and say, oh, right, I have this activity. And oh, right, it's a carpool and this is who's picking me up. And so moving some of that labor work into a system, it helps your kids start to take control eventually of their own schedule, but it helps you give up some of that overwhelming responsibility of everything being in your head. And, and it also lets your partner become a real partner. So finding different ways people are into Slack, all sorts of things. I'm low tech, just a little Google family calendar. 
really worked wonders for our household. Yeah, we use the Apple Calendar, but I will say that I am not the best at putting things into the calendar. It is a challenge of mine. Uh, And often my husband will call me out on it and say, you know, like, I don't know what we're doing today because it's not in the calendar. Or I have double booked myself, you know, because I don't put things in the calendar. And so that is something that I think could be incredibly useful and helpful but I have a personal challenge of actually using it. I have a challenge of using it too. My husband makes fun of me sometimes that this week it was a a tutoring appointment for my son on a Sunday morning that I knew was starting at nine and he thought was starting at 10 because I hadn't changed the calendar, right? So it's the old technology of garbage in, garbage out. But at the same time, if you can spend a little time, it actually saves you such emotional stress if you can start to do it. And then your kids also start to get much more empowered and capable of managing their schedules. Because if we think about our goal as a parent, at the end of the day, as moms, we want to raise healthy adults who are functioning and engaged and contributing to this world. And so learning to manage their busy lives is a big part of that. Absolutely. And I will say my daughter is better at the calendar. Than <laughs> uh, but they're using a lot. I mean, the technology they're using in class now is incredible. I know it's sort of off topic, but you know, this year they gave every eighth grader a Chromebook that they have until high school and they're using Google Classroom and Google Cal, you know, Google everything basically. And it's amazing to me and her knowledge of technology is already way surpassed mine. So absolutely. So maybe put her in charge of the calendar. <laughs> yeah, I should. That's a good idea. Well, Dana, thank you so much for being here today. And I'm really excited for this episode to air and for everyone to sort of start understanding how they can simplify their lives. And if they can't simplify how they can utilize their already available resources a little bit more efficiently and and, uh, in a way that serves them better. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Raiseology podcast. Head over to www.raiseology.com where you'll find plenty of You've Got This resources for parents and any links or tools mentioned in today's show. Be sure to hit subscribe on your podcatcher so that you can listen to the next episode the minute it's out. Until next time, have an empowered week.